0: The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello listeners, Leslie Morse here. Welcome back to the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series as part of the Women in Agile podcast. Sit back and get ready for about an hour of intense content sharing. In this episode of the mini-series, Lisa Adkins and I explore models and how they're the building blocks agile coaches can use for making sense of the world around them. If you're lacking something to geek out on, then this is the episode for you. We reference more than 25 different models and resources you can dig into. The conversation is built around five different categories of models, detecting and seeing problems, navigating conflict, high-performing teams, team development, and then product management and product ownership. We were graced by a bit of a quantum flirt when Lisa asked me to start with the third category I was thinking about, and it turned out to be a brilliant starting point for us to weave the conversation around. Interspersed through all of it, we touch on different challenges and flaws of using models well. And ultimately, you'll get a glimpse into how models help you see more holistically and completely. Models really help us uncover multiple options for how we can work with individuals and teams. And the more we have, the greater our ability to choose an action that has the highest impact. So as you embark on this listening journey, I want you to think about two important things you'll hear Lisa say. First, this is all in service of using Agile well. I really love her distinction with the verb using, and I think you will too. And second, there is a lot of ground covered in this episode. It's okay if you do not know all the things. Be kind to yourself. So get ready. Like I said, there's a lot here. Lisa and I would love to hear from you on what you're learning in this episode, as well as in the whole mini-series. So please find us on LinkedIn and let us know what you think. As always, if you want to stay up to date with everything happening on the Coaching Agile Teams mini series, please visit us online at www.womeninagile.org. cat. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Leslie. How are you today?
1: Oh, it's been up and down today, but um, you know, I'm so lucky that I have ways of processing difficulty. And especially difficult emotional states, so I'm very grateful for those skills and those models that help me think it through and feel it
0: through. I, I think that's really important. I I feel a little a little lost, maybe a little upside down today, and so. Sort of in that same way of having models to serve. If people can't figure out, we might be talking about models today.
1: We're talking about models well, today. Yeah.
0: But how they can be such a great way to, when you're just feeling a little stuck or lost, like ways to make sense of the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, there's something about uh, the rest of the Women in Agile podcast episodes that we do, And one of the last questions I ask all the guests is um, intended to inspire inspiration in others. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, what are you doing for your own professional growth? What are you geeking out on today? So that people can be like, oh, that sounds neat. I want to go learn about that. And um, I sort of want to channel that same desire to inspire through this conversation. That sounds great. Because... It could be really easy as we explore what models are covered in the coaching agile teams book, what models have inspired the work you've done, how your perspectives on how we use models and how they service have changed over the years, all of this, like it could turn into a commercial and just like a laundry list of stuff really, really fast. And so the show notes are going to be really critical for this episode, just because that's where everyone will be able to go and find the names and the references and all of the things that we're going to be covering today. So, um, don't stress out if you're out for a walk or you're driving and feeling need to write all of this down, we're going to get it. We're just going to kind of point people in a bunch of different directions for ways that they can navigate their own careers. That's right.
1: No stress, no stress. All this will be available to you.
0: Yeah. So models, and then we're not talking about striking a pose. Uh, no. <laughs> yes, it had okay, pose.
1: okay, everyone strike a pose right now. just yeah. for fun. That
0: uh, <laughs> was fun. But in the same way that fashion models sort of inspire us for new and different ways of thinking about clothing and trends, right? These sort of mental models that we're talking about can help us sort of inspire new ways of thinking and unlocking knowledge, right?
1: For sure. For sure. So when we say "model," we're talking about something that helps explain the world to you, or mm-hmm. whatever topic that you're looking at. It helps explain it to you more. And um, there are two really important things about models, I think, are two modes that we can use them. And one is we can use them just with ourselves just to help see the world differently, to stretch our awareness, to get different perspectives on something. And especially if we're emotionally charged about something, as I know I tend to get, and probably you do too, um, it helps us get past the emotional charge and, and into the prefrontal cortex part of our brain that is way smarter than our lizard brain. So models are useful to just by yourself when you use them. And then, When you are comfortable enough with a model to do a little bit of teaching around it and you can teach it to a team, then it unlocks that team's ability to see themselves more completely and it increases their system's intelligence and that helps them self-organize in a more healthy way. Yeah,
0: and the beauty that you get from that ability to teach a model, use it with teams, I think is so much about creating common language, and helping build alignment amongst people, because um, well, we all know what people say about assumptions. They make an ass out of you and me, right? But okay. And so if we're making assumptions about how we're thinking about stuff, then we may be talking past each other and not even know it, but being able to align on a model and using that as a frame of reference for our discussion helps kind of channel everybody in the same direction as we go on this exploration.
1: That's right. I mean, to have a conversation about, let's say, conflict or high performance, if you just get into that conversation with no grounding that the model can give you and no common language, people are definitely not in the same conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the goal of today Is there's kind of five areas of different models that we want to explore. We're going to end up talking conflict. You already mentioned that. You mentioned high performance, high performing teams earlier, aspects of product management, product ownership, uh, working on kind of developing teams, and working and kind of detecting around how to see problems. Mm -hmm. were some of the categories. Why these five categories? Why are they important in that space of Agile coaching? And how do they serve Agile coaches?
1: Well, one of the main things that we're trying to do when someone becomes a really skilled Agile coach is that they can recover from their own problem-solving addiction. And instead of jumping in and solving a problem they think they see, what they are able to do is use ways of thinking, oftentimes models, to see things more holistically, more completely, to have multiple options for an intervention they might do, and then be able to choose the thing they think is going to have the highest impact.
0: Yeah, it's like um, your Mary Poppins bag. Yes, Uh, that is infinitely sized with all of these different things to pull out the right one at the right time.
1: Right. Here comes the big pole lamp. Here comes the umbrella. Yeah, who knows what we're going to need. But the thing is, right now, what I see from working with thousands and thousands of Agile coaches all over the world is that most Agile coaches are coming to every situation with their very small toolbox. It is not a Mary Poppins carpet bag. It's a small toolbox, and they're taking out the same tools every time.
0: Yes. It's like I have a hammer and a wrench and a box cutter, but that is not enough. What are all the other tools?
1: Yeah. If we were in a simple situation or even a complicated situation, maybe those tools would be enough. Most of the situations we're in are complex. And I love what, um, oh, Rod Collins, gosh, I haven't thought about him in a long time, but he said this amazing thing. He said, we no longer have problems. We have messes. So that's what most of us are in. We're in a mess that got made over time. It's unlikely that one thing is going to clean up or detangle this mess. And so we need multiple options. We need to be a lot more thoughtful about our interventions. Yeah, yeah. So models can help.
0: Yeah. And so as we as we talk about each of these five areas today, we're going to talk about why this area is important. What are some of the models that are useful for agile coaches as they navigate this area where you've done your study, what people will be able to draw from in the audiobook. book? Um, and after we kind of talk about each of these five areas, I want to talk about some of the the risks as well that go along with using models, because it's not always as easy as we'd like it to be because inherently all models are flawed to some extent for sure and so we'll talk about that as we wrap up today does that sound good yep all right let's make this a little choose choose your own adventure so we know we've got five areas where do you want to start
1: um i want to start with the third area that's in your mind
0: third area that's in my mind that's really strange because I had a first area I don't know what the third area was so the third one on my note that I wrote down was how we detect and see problems
1: okay well we're that already was the that, third on the paper we're in that area already so let's just do that so <laughs> so yeah I mean yes you're not a solo problem solver anymore like project managers used to be you're not like the hero that way in agile coaching, but it is still important to detect problems and to see them more clearly before sort of galvanizing the forces to act with them.
0: Right. As well as being able to see them in a way that they can be reflected back and you have the language to help others see them as well.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. So, sure. when we
0: get into this problem detection and problem solving sort of space, what are the models that you point agile coaches to?
1: Well, the ones that people are going to hear about in the audiobook are in a chapter about problem solving. And they are two surveys essentially. And both are about different aspects of team dynamics. And so, those are really important, but they're sort of, they are deep dives in just a one out of four areas that I think about in the model that I now more often use to detect and see problems more holistically.
0: And what drove your shift from saying, ooh, these two are now, and now, I what, what was the longing that brought you into that journey of having four areas?
1: Well, so the four areas aren't my four areas. This is from the world outside of the agile space called integral theory. This is a model called the integral model. Um, There'll be information in the show notes about how to learn about it, including some keynotes where we have already applied that model to the agile space.
0: Right. And when we say integral model, just to make sure we're grounding folks, we're talking about the idea of I, it, we, it. That's right. Right. Okay. Because that's, that's right. that maybe some like a phrase people have heard before, but not necessarily know that's called the integral model.
1: Right. And you might not know the depth of it, but that's okay for our conversation right now. Um, I think I think we're at a good enough understand level of understanding. So if you think about the models that I offered in the problem solving chapter about team dynamics only, that's in the we quadrant. At the time I wrote the Coaching Agile Teams book, I didn't know how strong my bias and my blinders were um, because I naturally gravitate toward individual growth and development and team growth and development.
0: And that has to happen in context of the system in which everything is operating.
1: That's right, that's right. And of course I know that, but that's not where my particular skill or talent or magic lies. Right. Yeah. So there's this whole world of it, individual practices, behaviors, qualities of products, roles, and how they're filled or not filled. And then there's it, all the systems and processes and procedures. So, the structures, in other words, those two things are about the structures that make things work or not work. Right. And I talk a lot about structures in the Coaching Agile Teams audiobook in different places but not in this problem solving chapter. And so what I learned when when Michael Spade introduced me to the integral model was that I was looking at this gigantic beautiful landscape through one little peephole. And in fact, there are like three other beautiful windows, peepholes to look through to see more of the landscape.
0: It's almost like a kaleidoscope where you just get to like see the crystals at the end just a little bit differently. Yeah. Actually, in fact, to some extent, all of the models we're discussing today are just like turning that kaleidoscope just a little bit and getting a different picture of those crystals at the end. So you get a more full picture. Yep.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And now there is... um, this integral model has become more ubiquitous in the Agile world. And so now you'll see lots of books refer to it. You'll see um, more uh, presentations that are that are videotaped that you can watch that are related to it. Um, so that's one thing that I use now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are more analysis models, but but all those other analysis models sort of fit inside that integral model somewhere. And so that's... If I want the most holistic view and the most choice about what interventions I could do before choosing the one I'm gonna try, then that's, the, that's my go-to.
0: And why, what is it that this integral model gives you that allows you to navigate seeing and detecting problems in, in a way that is useful? It makes me think outside
1: of my um, talent, which is also outside of my bias. So we all have a bias, like the way that we view the world. Some people, so my husband will tell this wonderful story to everyone who wants to hear it. He talks, so I swear to you, if we're at a cocktail party, this story is going to be told every single time. (laughs) And it's the story of how the two of us walk into the same room and we see totally different things. So. I walk into a room, let's say it's a cocktail party, and I immediately notice who's getting along, who's not, how it feels, what's going wrong, what's going right, like everything about the human relationship dynamic, right? My husband notices whether the pictures are hung straight and are the and are the corners 90 degrees and basically, you know, how well engineered is the room? We're both right. But there's a very different ways of looking at the world. Yeah, yeah, And so this is the thing that the models like the integral model give me it's, it forces me to get out of my talent, which is also my bias. Because the problem on a team may be structural. And here I am trying to bring all this mumbo jumbo, cool hoodoo team dynamic stuff And that might not be the thing that, that cleans up as much of the mess as we could clean up in one go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It allows you to be a more holistic, holistic practitioner. That's right. Of that. Do you have a good story you can tell about applying it just to kind of ground the importance of this category?
1: Mm. Well, I have a story. Um, in the one that's coming to mind right now is a story in retrospect. And it was the story of why we decided to sell Agile Coaching Institute. Mm -hmm. So this is a story in my own business, right? That we were feeling, um, we were feeling tensions in the we quadrant and in the I quadrant. People wanted to be more of like solo artists. They had things they wanted to express in the world. Right, and we tried to bring in another um, sister organization, which created lots of tension in the we quadrant, right? And so I could see that very clearly. But I, but in making the decision to sell Agile Coaching Institute, I said, okay, but hang on, that's that's the normal way I see the world. What about the it and the its quadrant? And so if I look in the its in the it quadrant, you know, we've been getting the message for a couple years that the next product for the business needed to be working on the business rather than creating something new in the Agile coaching space. And we just didn't do it. Yeah. So we were left with a lot of operational debt, let's say. Not monetary debt, but like just debt in the way the yeah. operation ran. Yeah. And if we look at the broader system of things, at this time in 2016 and 2017, Agile coaching was already becoming commoditized. There were people entering the marketplace that were willing to compete on price, for example, and they had instructors that did not have deep skills in professional coaching or facilitation, yet felt perfectly fine to teach that material. And that was a very different world than where we were coming from. And given that those were some of the dy- dynamics going on, also at this time, Agile really crossed the chasm in a big way. Every big company and their half brother were trying to use Agile and saying that what they were doing was Agile, and it was so not. With- agile really is and we were just like oh yeah no that's not the place we that we can bring our greatest talents that's not where we need to play yeah so so you know being able to step sort of outside the emotion of having grown this organization having participated in the emergence of agile coaching as a profession which was a great privilege and seeing the it and its factors as well, had me go, okay, now's the time.
0: Now's the time, now's Now's the the time. And so, oh, you actually, I want to use the story, at least a segue sort of from this idea of integral being a primary model agile coaches can use around detecting and seeing problems mm-hmm. to the fact that you could have just seen that situation just as conflict amongst people and only focused on the team dynamics of it. But conflict in and of itself is an area that has models we can rely on. To help us navigate conflict in general, I I personally think of um, Gottman's work and like what people call the four horsemen um, in in the stonewalling and defensiveness and, and the things there that help us navigate, like what's really going on with team conflict. And that might be my go to model in the conflict area, but that's not the only one there.
1: It's a good one. The one that people hear about in the audio book is called The Five Levels of Conflict. That's also a good one because people can start to see, um, when, once they get into how the language and those levels work, they can start to see how they're ratcheting up and then the Agile coach can say, okay, hang on, feels like we're ratcheting up. Where are we here and where do you wanna be? And so that's <laughs> a very sort of linear model that's easy to apply in the moment or easier to apply in the moment. None of these are easy because when, when people are in conflict, something is at stake. And so yeah. by definition, it's it's sort of a, a dicey moment, you know? Yeah, and that
0: is not the time as the agile coach when the conflict has happened and when it's heated to be like, oh, hold on, let me teach you about this. Hold
1: on, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, why, which is why I suggest not only with this model, but with any model that you use, it's a great opportunity to teach that model in a retrospective and then say, "Okay, how does this model apply to our last sprint mm-hmm. or our last release, whatever the time frame is?" Because that's a great way to help people just look back at the last thing and get some a different slant. That's which is the whole purpose of the retrospective is to just get a different slant on the last time frame and pick a couple things we could do better. Yeah. All right, so that's a great time to teach models.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. What else about conflict in? The, the role of agile coaches, when teams are in conflict, and how, how these models of the, the five levels or you know, the four horsemen can help go through that.
1: Well, the, the thing that most people don't recognize, I think still, and maybe I'm still coming to really understand it, is that it is possible for conflict to exist, And for it to not be solvable, I do talk about that in the audiobook, but I talk about ways of working with that that are useful, like increasing positivity, for example, but I don't talk about designing alliances. Mm. And so in a nutshell, a designed alliance can be around any topic, any topic. My husband and I have a designed alliance in the days when I was traveling about how the first 24 hours goes when I get home. We call it the re-entry protocol because that's a yeah. really dicey time <laughs> for both of us because my mind and my heart is still with the 30 or so people I've been working with for the last week. He's missed me. He's got a bunch of stuff he wants to talk to me about. And those two things don't necessarily mesh. So yeah. we have, we've designed a way for both of us to be satisfied even though that was um, for a while an area of a lot of tension. Yeah. So the same thing can exist. It's not like we resolved it. We did not resolve it, but we found ways to both be satisfied. And so that's the thing about designing an alliance. It can be around the fact that these three team members see something totally differently. They, they want to work in three totally different ways. And there's no way you're going to convince them to all sort of compromise to a lowest common denominator, or you might, but it won't last very long. But So how can you take the the... The, not even the best of the three, but how can the three understand each other's ways enough and what each other needs that they go, oh, okay, cool. So you need it that way. I can I can make this little adjustment over here and make it easier for you to have it that way. That's what an alliance is about.
0: Yeah, it, it really gets you focused on what are the outcomes you want to create together. And and then how, what, how, what do we need to do in order to achieve those outcomes? Yep,
1: yep. Absolutely, because some conflicts are so um, challenging that they can take a long, long time to um, settle. Yeah. To settle out. Notice I didn't say resolved. No. Right. Yeah. So this is our this is our misnomer. Our misnomer is that we can help teams resolve conflict. We can't. And in fact, if we're trying to do that. Oftentimes we might be trying to tamp it down and make it nice and harmonious looking, which is, in my opinion, more damaging than the volcano kind of stuff that comes up every once in a while.
0: Right. Stop. Let's slow that down. And let's say that again. What is the risk around coaches working with the teams to resolve conflict?
1: The biggest risk is that teams don't get good at resolving their problems themselves. Yeah. That is the biggest problem see the problem is not that we have problems the problem is that we freak out when we have problems and we think we have to make it go away immediately and what that does is deprive everyone of the learning we could have if we just navigate through it
0: yes yeah
1: now that's not comfortable no but that's why models are helpful so you have the five levels of conflict model, you have the one you mentioned, team toxins, or you can go to the um, source, which is John Gottman's research. And then there's also the conflict dynamics model, which I love because it's behavioral. It's behaviors that you can see externally, or things that are going on in internally for people that they can reveal to each other. Yeah. So, so once teams have this language, then they go like, then they say things like, "Oh, hang on, are you yielding? Hang on, I don't want you to yield because I don't want you to be resentful about this." Yes. Like, wouldn't that be a cool thing to hear out of one yeah. team member's mouth to another?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing that I find that serves me in situations of conflict is paying attention to that positivity ratio and the idea of um, how many, if I borrow a little bit of the Brene Brown it's kind of lens on it, like how many marbles are in the team's relationship jar? That's right. Because for every positive interaction, you're kind of adding one marble to the jar. And for every negative interaction about five marbles are taking taken out. And so when we're in these heated conflict situations and we're falsely tamping down the conflict, just because we want everybody to get along, those are actually kind of creating the breeding gown for more and more negative interactions, not marble depositing ones. Because the way, if you're able to visualize how full is the jar... It, it gives you another clue on kind of what models to use because if it is a low relationship balance amongst the team, the way you can work with and navigate conflict is going to be different than the, everybody's good around putting mm-hmm. positive tokens into yeah. the jar as well.
1: So this is under the heading of help things go right rather than solve things when they go wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So one of the ways you can help things go right is to increase the positivity to negativity ratio put more marbles in that jar and the place it starts is with you yes because if your personal positivity to negativity ratio is out of whack and you walk around the world thinking more negative thoughts than positive thoughts you won't be able to give more positivity to the team that they can catch like a really good virus and perpetuate amongst themselves
0: hey everyone Natalie Warnert here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with Wea stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. In, in other conversations we've had, we talk about Agile being done well. Mm-hmm. And I even, I, I know, you know building high-performing teams is one of these other categories that we want to talk about, but I even find that phrase a little prickly for me anymore, like, what does it mean to be high performing? And you may have even alluded to that earlier. Um, and I'm not entirely sure. I want an outcome to be like, oh, I've got a high performing team. Like, I have a team that loves each other, that wants to work together, and like, you know, their customers love them, and all of these kind of things. Like, because high performance is almost just so vague. But what what are those models that can serve having that conversation to bring alignment on what we mean by high performing and and getting people to a state that like this is a team I want to be on?
1: Yeah. So what, what you're referring to, like the prickly piece of that, and I feel it, too, is the imposition that. Um, that teams need to just constantly strive to be high performing and somehow this is related to how they're measured or viewed in the organization. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I, I I hope I stressed enough, I believe I did, and people will hear it in the audiobook, is that that it is not about reaching a certain place and then da da da, we're high performing. Woohoo! Yes. Because even teams that get to a fairly high level of performance do not stay there long. Something will happen in the exterior environment, something will happen interior to the team, something will happen that will knock them back. So so more important than arriving at high performance, if there even is a thing, is the idea of how to recover from setbacks and resiliency and let that be more of a measure of team health. Yeah. The only reason I talk about high performance is because, um, of the desire to strive. People have a desire to strive. They have a desire to do better. Most people do.
0: the Dan Pink autonomy, mastery, and purpose which yeah. I guess is another model to some extent. That's right. Like, yeah, we, like, we want to be masterful as a team. It's that Absolutely. desire to, to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and we want to feel that there is some forward motion, right? That we're not in a hamster wheel going around and around and around seeing the same scenery. We want to see different scenery, And so that, that is the purpose of a journey of high performance. It's not to meet some sort of externally imposed desire, you know? So if it's a journey, then pretty much any model of high team performance will work. The most important thing is that it's a model that you believe in enough that you've researched it, you can teach it in about 10 minutes and you can start a conversation with it. Because that's yeah. the whole purpose of most of these models is to give people enough grounding, enough of a shared mental um, concept and uh, more importantly, a common language, a common yes. set of definitions yep. from which to have a
0: conversation. Yep. So what are the models that you look to here?
1: So in team performance, the one I have been liking lately, because it's based on more research, is something called the team diagnostic. And what we were just talking about, Leslie, positivity and productivity are part of this model, both. Because we know from the research that when positivity rises, productivity rises, but not necessarily the other way around. So there's seven positivity factors, seven productivity factors. It's It's a thing that I use with a team quite often when I'm wanting to start the conversation about high performance. I might choose five out of these 14. Things I think that are worth them having some conversation around. Have them rate themselves on them. Have them step back and look at that data. Probably it's dots on a chart somehow, right? And then find out what surprises them or how the data explains things to them. And and help create insights about that and then eventually move toward okay, now what do you wanna do now that you've seen this data, now that you've had this conversation that's generated some insights. Yeah. And that's the idea is that they choose the next step. It's something they want to do. It's not like someone else is saying you have to do, you have to be X or Y. And that's the most aggravating thing actually is that there is this, this usually imposed from above Sense of having to be more highly performing with no definition about what that is.
0: Yeah. That it's is, a,
1: that's it's cruel. That's a cruel thing to do
0: to people. And I've seen it and I myself and I've heard uh, friends of mine in the industry talk about it. It's like, you know, leaders come in, doubt shalt be high performing. And it's this everybody has a different definition of it. And so with these the pos- the positivity and the performance outcomes and like having these different characteristics and attributes that an entire not just a single team but an entire organization mm-hmm. can align around mm-hmm. gives everybody a common vocabulary. So we're all using the same kind of ruler to measure what we mean by high performance. And just cuz one team is better at some of them and another team doesn't make one team bad or good. It just gives us ways of talking about stuff. That's
1: right. All of these are ways for a conversation. Mm-hmm. This is one of, the, I think, the biggest mistakes we make with models is that we believe the raw data. And if, if I were going to use a model to make a really crucial decision and that the data itself had to tell me what the decision was going to be, I'd be a lot more careful at choosing the models I use. Yeah. But since I'm using models and I suggest agile coaches use models to start conversations, we don't have to worry if our model is right or the best. All we have to do is let people use the model, get some raw data, and then let them generate insights from that raw data. Yeah, That's what matters. The conversation that the raw data generates matters. The data yeah. does not Throw the data away. Yes. Yes.
0: It's almost like a user story. Right? It's a placeholder for conversation. This, like whatever that backlog item was, adds no value the moment you've had the conversation and you've built whatever that increment of the product is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another model, and I know this isn't covered explicitly in in the book or in the audio book, the Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Oh, that is when a when I think about this area of team performance, I, I know I used it a lot. In fact, I'm using it in my work now. Um, it's uh, That's another great one, right? With that base dysfunction, right? Lack of trust or absence of trust, working mm-hmm. up to the top of that five-level model, like inattention to results being right. the highest level dysfunction. Yep. Yep. That's now, a great one. Are there any model. other ones that you have been inspired by over the years?
1: Well, I, kind of, I created this hodgepodge model for the, the in the coaching agile teams book that people are going to like hear the story of how I use it in the audiobook mm-hmm. And it's called the high performing tree. And I cannot tell you how often people write me and there is a picture and it's a picture of some kind of tree. Yeah. <laughs> and they are sending it to me saying, thank you for writing about this, because this was this opened up so many new pathways for my team when I taught this to them and they talked about what fruits do I want to get you know what where are our roots not strong and so one of the things that that kind of model has going for it is a metaphor so and a lot of models don't metaphor can hold a lot more complexity
0: Mm -hmm. I love metaphors
1: yeah right So, so, you know, it's a trade off, like, are you going to use this model that has more specific definitions? Or are you going to use a model that has more metaphor? And both
0: are useful. Yep, yep. In fact, striking that balance is really useful. Yeah. Yeah. So the fourth area, and, and it's it's been interesting how you asked me, like, let's start with the third one on my list. We need to detect and see problems. Sometimes we're seeing problems with conflict. As we're working through conflict, you're, that's holding us back sometimes from high performance. This is kind of all about, like, the fourth one here, like, just developing teams and working on teams and their development. When I think one of the first things that Agilists are exposed to from a model perspective, here's the idea of Shuhari. Yep. Yeah. Right, which starts with can start with yourself and apply to the team as well. But what else goes into this idea of team development for you?
1: Well, the the thing that has that I've been using a lot in the last few years is this notion of team development from um, the the book called The Wisdom of Teams by Bach and Smith. It's an old book. It's an old book. But the reason I use it is because so many people are thrown together without the requisite um, groundwork for really being a team. And then they're told you have to perform like a team. And, Katzenbe- and Katzenbe- Katzenbach and... Sm- Boy, I tell you, someone find out how to pronounce that and say that. That's a
0: lot of syllables.
1: Anyway, <laughs> those two guys, um, they talk about pseudo teams and how when you throw what, what are what is really a working group together and ask them to perform like a team their performance goes through the through the basement yeah and so i i like the recognition that there are working groups and there are teams and both are good both have their purposes and i think that what we have a lot of times in the agile space are working groups yet we're trying to treat them like teams we're trying to make them have a vision together and I truly want to be interdependent on one another and that might not be what the work supports supports yeah right and so I like the fact that if if I have a working group cool I can still coach that working group there's just going to be some things I do with them and some things I don't do with them mm-hmm. so that 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 model really helps me it opened my eyes to the fact that working groups and teams are both good but I gotta know which one I'm dealing with yeah yeah. The other one um, that I just thought about, oh, my gosh, is the Drexler Sibbitt model of team oh, I know development. This one. Oh, my gosh. It is really, really good. It talks about the, the core questions people have when they're on a team and that if those questions do not get answered to their satisfaction, you're going to keep recycling back to those questions no matter what. And the first one is, why am I here? why am I here is the first question. And so oftentimes we can pull team members together and say, you're going to be a new team and here's your backlog and here's your product and here's all this other stuff. And we haven't addressed some of the first couple questions, which means that team's going to constantly recycle back to it.
0: Yeah. Well, then that reminds me of um, another thing that I've learned, which is something like 69 percent of problems are always perpetual, mm-hmm. whether it be sort of in relationship or in team dynamics or as teams work together. And that idea of having things recycle and how you handle that, right, it's just, just like it. it's like all of these different dimensions of models that we're exploring, how much overlap there is here yeah, and sure. how you can use them in so many complementary ways.
1: Well, you know, I realized I was watching a board of directors, Um, just in their normal day-long meeting because we were finding out, could I be their coach? And I realized as I was watching them that I had 17 separate models in my head simultaneously. And I started writing down on my iPad the like the like the frames of each of these 17 models because mm-hmm. i found that as i saw something in the way they interacted it fit in this model oh and it gave me a little bit of an insight into the into what that model brings me so i suppose in a lot of ways these models are ingrained in me in a way that i don't even necessarily recognize because they just now become a different. Oh, they're like fashion glasses. Ooh, that's nice. They're like a different pair of glasses I can put on. I want the red frame ones this time.
0: Yeah. No. I love that. And yeah. then it's like because, as you already alluded to, right? No, you know, all models are somewhat inherently flawed. No model is right or wrong. They have overlap. You know, so it's like, where are the patterns that you can pull from? That allows you to see that larger meta model. That's right that you're kind of talking about. That's right, but that you're only able to do that once you invest in learning any given one of them enough hmm. um, so that you feel comfortable applying it and that you're doing it in the way that it's intended because it's easy to misapply models and there's opportunities to do damage sometimes as well by taking them almost too literally. And we're, we're, we're drifting a little bit towards the risks and models. But if you're, if you're ready to go there for a moment, yeah. perhaps we can. And,
1: oh, but the only thing I want to mention in this, under this thing of team development is some new work that's come out that I really appreciate. By yes, Heidi. let's do that. Yeah. By, by Heidi Helfand. She has this book called Dynamic Reteaming. And she's talking about what happens when your team composition changes, either because you want it to or because it happened to you. Um, And she uses what's called the panarchy cycle and applies that to team life. And so like a team starts, it flourishes. Maybe it starts to get a little bit stale, you know, and should. And then the question of like, should we have it flourish again or is it time for it to fade and maybe even die? Yeah. It's like the notion we have that teams need to be together forever, number one, I don't think probably ever happens, but number two is not necessarily even healthy. Yep. And so let's recognize when something has run its course. Yep. Right?
0: That reminds me of eco cycle planning, which is a liberating structure that can be similar kind of thing of how do you look at that around product development. Mm-hmm. So similar model there. Yeah. Um, and Heidi's been on the Women in Agile podcast series before. Um, so if people want to go find that episode, they can learn a boor, more about dynamic reteaming with her. But what was the name of that model again? It's called the Panarchy Cycle. So it's another, panarchy one, cycle. It's another
1: one of those gigantic models from yeah. a philosopher. So you could literally spend a decade really understanding that model, just like you could spend a decade understanding integral theory. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can, you know, piggyback on the work of Heidi Helfand who's applied it to Agile or Michael Spader, Michael Hammond who've applied interval to Agile. So
0: Yep, that's great. Anything else in team development?
1: Just have a model. Yeah. For, for God's sake, please. Please have a model of team development. Because yeah. because if your approach to an issue does not change based on the team's level of development, you're probably not serving the team very well.
0: Yep. I I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask you about Spiral Dynamics and that model, because that's something that's also become part of the conversation with Agilists over the years. And where would you put Spiral Dynamics? And granted, we haven't gotten to the product management, product ownership category yet. Yeah. But I would say it doesn't go there. How would you classify the, that way of thinking? So this model
1: became popular to us Agilists because of Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing Organizations, right? Um, However, it's been around for a long, long, long time, and it's actually part of the integral theory. So integral theory has the I, it, we, and its four quadrants, but it also has levels of um, societal and adult development. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that is some very, very deep water to wade in. It is incredibly useful to me, um, and I and I do talk about that model and give high levels of that model in keynotes, for example. Um, but boy, is that a lot to bite off! Yeah, it is yeah. a lot. Now, the thing that is so delightful to learn that model is called Spiral Dynamics Integral by Don Beck, and it's an audiobook. And he has this Texas drawl, and so to have. It's, it's just, he's totally delightful to me. And yeah. he has all of these real world examples of how spiral dynamics can be used to help adults, development, de, adults develop, organizations development, whole societies to develop.
0: Yeah. and I mean, that, that makes me think about the area of stuff that I've been geeking out on around like Robert Keegan's work around adult development, as well as Torbert's work around action logics which I, when I dumb it down to the lowest level, I'm like, it's almost kind of like the spiral dynamics of leadership development. And so there's just, um, there's so many neat things to go learn about and draw on as we think about developing organizations and developing teams. But these agile teams we're talking about, Lisa, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about them if they weren't here for the purpose of right, kind of bringing products and services to market, which sort of lands us with this idea of product management and product ownership. Because we wouldn't have these teams building something if we didn't have our product managers and product owners there with that vision for what, how we need to satisfy the customer. For sure. What's in that space? Well,
1: I mean, this space has really evolved a lot in 10 years. I mean, for, for the experts here, you would go to any of Jeff Patton's work, on user story mapping and in general, sort of better understanding what the customer needs. The thing I'm using right now myself is called Testing Business Ideas, which is a new book and a sort of a a way of figuring out what customers will buy before you start to build it. And that's Um, David
0: Bland's work.
1: David Bland and Alex Osterwalder are those. Yes, two. I always
0: forget Alex's last name. Yeah. Yep,
1: yep, yep, yep. Of course, Lean Startup came out several years ago and is sort of Eric like. Reyes. Yep, it's sort of like how, how Agile works for business people. Um, because Agile puts business people in the driver's seat, but doesn't teach them how to drive. And, yeah. so, and so we do need some Agile coaches who are good at helping product owners and product management organizations do the part they need to do. Mm hmm. Uh, And then there's a new book by Melissa Perry called Escaping the Build Track. I I, I said that wrong. Escaping the Build Trap. Trap. Escaping the Build Trap.
0: When I think about this area, I go back to people that I was actually learning from in my pre-agile days, Mary Gorman and Ellen Gottsteiner. And it turns out they also oh, yeah. play in the Agile space. Their book, um, Discover to Deliver. Yes. And I think it's nine product dimensions. Like I've got that on my bookshelf behind me. Like, it's 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 an oldie but a goodie that is like truly held the test of time. Yeah, That's got some great models in there to draw from.
1: Well, also Luke Coleman's Innovation Games yeah. is a, of that same era that there's mm-hmm. a lot of really useful things to help to help figure out what to build.
0: Yeah, because that's this build the right thing at the right time.
1: Yeah, because here's the thing, you and I have been saying, um, what do we say? We, we want to do Agile well, what do we say?
0: Yeah, we wanna do Agile well. Do Agile
1: well, and, I, and I've been thinking over the last couple of weeks, I don't care about doing Agile well, I care about using Agile well. Mm. Because we want to use oh. it in service of something greater.
0: Well, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. How? Through the earliest and continuous delivery of value. Bingo. And I love that nuance, using agile well. well.
1: I think that, you know, we get into such um, dangerous territory when we start thinking that if we train 80% of our teams, that we're somehow agile now. Yeah yeah um, and that and that actually is agile for agile's sake. and even the notion of mm-hmm. like doing agile well that's not it implies how you that, can do
0: it wrong It's
1: not how I meant it
0: yeah. but but yeah. now
1: i'm now I'm really sealing what I meant is use Oops. agile
0: well and that that goes to our conversation that we've had about like is it well? is it right? Is it wrong? and using it well? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important nuance, yeah. Um before we wrap up I just um I want to mention another model. Oh yeah what you got? <laughs> which, which I don't know maybe it's not a model. I'm not entirely sure you tell me. But it's well the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Right which is kind of almost like a model to some extent. It's a mental model about thinking about learning and that idea of you know what you know, you know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know and you don't know you know it, right? Those are the four areas Mm -hmm. of this model. And there's something about the journey of developing your skillfulness as an agile coach, when you start getting exposed to more of these models, where in the Dunning-Kruger thing, we talk about like falling off of Mount Stupid. Mm -hmm. It's like all of a sudden you realize there is so much I don't know. And it can become paralyzing. Like, why am I even doing this? I'm imposter syndrome everywhere. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to have it all figured out. And so keeping yourself grounded as you're learning and exploring and adding stuff to that Mary Poppins tool bag is sort of like a really important thing to recognize that like, if that's how you feel, that's totally normal.
1: Yeah. I love what you're saying here, and I would really invite people to be so kind with themselves. Another yes. quote here that always comes to my mind when I feel like I've fallen off Mount Stupid, because that's that's by the way how I discover most of these models is that I realized, hang on, I'm not actually serving this team. I'm just sort of bringing my same stuff out of my little toolbox. Like the carpet bag isn't open. I need to find. I need to reach in there and find a new model or a new way of looking at it. Um, this quote I love from Maya Angelou, and it's just so simple. When you know better, you do better. It's not your fault. You didn't know. Yeah. But, but now you do.
0: Yep. So do better. Yeah. What else, Lisa? Because I like that we could, like I almost want to be like mic drop. Like that's enough. But we've covered a lot of ground. And again, what? the show notes are gonna have references to all of this stuff.
1: Yep, And I so appreciate this episode because it was so important to me not to write a second edition of the coaching agile teams book, but just to point to all this good work that all these other people have done. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, with, with, with me just really honoring all the work of all the people we've talked about, I think that is, that's the way to go.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Lisa. What are you
1: grateful for today? I'm grateful for friends, I really am. So just a little backstage for you all, Leslie and I got on and just started connecting just a few minutes before we started recording this and neither one of us were doing very well today.
0: No, no. I feel I feel much better now though.
1: I do too, <laughs> I do too. And all we did was talk about models, But yeah. but what we're up to is something bigger. What we're talking about is helping people improve their mental flexibility and their mental complexity. Yes. Because when you have a model that challenges you to think outside of your own um, your own box, like you were saying, that, that window that says, I know what I know. Mm-hmm. When you have a model that challenges you to think outside of that, you are increasing your capability to be in a complex world.
0: Yeah. It's all about range for me. Yeah. When we think about this. Yeah. And developing the discernment and the intentionality, sort of know what to pull out of that Mary Poppins bag when. Mm-hmm. And that takes practice and that's where that be kind to yourself comes in, right? So like I, I am thankful, Lisa, for the the way you, through our conversations over the years, have been someone that can help ground me, that is inspiring to people in our industry, helping us discover and do our own work so that we can go forth into the world and actually truly change it. Like this is world work. These models can be, they serve us more than just in our careers as agilists. They can help give us tips and tricks and plays to run in the game of life as well. For sure. Yeah. So thank you, Lisa, for this conversation today. We've got actually more to cover in some other episodes around models. We're going to go deep on just the growth path around agile coaching and some of the models that support that and other ones around teams and systems intelligence and some of the models there. So if you don't feel like you got enough listening to this conversation, like there is more to come. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa, for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. As always, a huge thank you to the Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Accenture Solutions IQ, and if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.